Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hey, all you gearheads and car fiends, welcome to Driven Radio Show, your weekly automotive happy hour. I am Brett Hatfield, here with my co-host and engineer extraordinaire, said with all possible humanity, Mr. Mark Groves. That's me. We are coming to you from the Driven Radio Studios in the currently baking location. Yeah. Anywhere in the Midwest, baby. Anywhere in the Midwest. Just hot. And I'm... I have been absolutely flooding my yard, and the grass still looks... It's still browning up, isn't yeah, it? It's, yeah, it's still a little half-crappy, and I'm really trying. I'm waiting for that letter from the HOA. It says, <laughs> hey, jerky. Stop making your lawn suck. You know, yeah, yeah. screw your water bill. <laughs> get on the stick. It's mostly sweaty with a chance of oh, nope Man, it, it has been seriously warm. We got a break for a couple of days over the weekend, and it wasn't too bad. Yeah, I, uh, I replaced sprinkler heads. Did you time. really? Yeah. I cleaned out the garage for the first time. <gasps> oh, you mean you you took that little one tiny piece of dust that was in there and flicked it out? No, I did what you should do on a really hot weekend. I got out there in my bare foots and got the hose out and hosed out that garage. And I walked around in cool water for the better part of a couple of hours. And it nice. was divine. It was your own wading pool. Yes, it was. <laughs> nice. Not, not very deep. Not very deep. <laughs> I was a smart boy for putting down that epoxy floor. Yeah. I spent the rest of the afternoon drinking cold beer and breaking my arm, patting myself on the back. I have a buddy who owns the company that did our garage floor, and Joe's a one-man gang. Uh, Big shout-out to Grindhouse uh, Surfacing. Anything you need done, uh, go look them up. Grindhouse Surfacing. I have to say that because Joe gave me a (laughs) screaming deal. (laughs) Oh, my Lord. It was almost half. (laughs) But the other thing is he works so hard doing that. Yeah. And you don't realize that that epoxy is like concentrated airplane glue you would get when you were a kid. Yeah. There's no way he's not killing off brain cells. <laughs> it's got that stank. It's You're just sniffing a, a Xerox the I, whole time you're I working on it. I had him do it a week before we moved in. And as we're moving, we're like, Jesus, how is he not high? <laughs> <laughs> just not a chance. That's just called a perk. Anyway. He did a great job on the floor, and it cleaned right up. Nice. And the garage, it's, it's just the best garage I've ever had. I love it. Our guest tonight is Barry Tepke. He's the Director of Heritage Events and Public Relations at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. Ooh. Barry's been involved in the automotive and motorsports since 1989 when he started working for JMPR Public Relations in Los Angeles before forming his own boutique PR company, VL Communications, in 1994. He has worked with such companies as Ferrari, the LA Auto Show, Lamborghini, Barrett-Jackson, Bonhams, Mitsubishi, Toyota, and Vector. Oh, Vector, baby. (laughs) His vintage racing journey began in 1989 when he represented the Monterey Historic Automobile Races. Then, in late 2009, he joined Laguna Seca to manage the renamed Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion. After a brief stint in San Diego, Barry returned to Laguna Seca. Barry, welcome to Driven Radio. Thank you very much, and uh, thank you for having me out here. But I do want to set something straight. When you're talking about the weather, we almost, almost reached 70 degrees today. I don't like this guy. 
Okay. Why well, did you bring him on the heard, show? We've heard enough from <laughs> you. What's wrong with you? Yeah, well, thank you for joining, Barry. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> Barry, that is exactly the reason that everybody who lives in the rest of the country is thrilled to go to Monterey in August for Car Week and for the Monterey Historics. We want to get away and go to paradise for a week. Yeah. And uh, I cannot blame you for wanting to work there. Who infected you with your love for cars? Um, I understand you started your driving career earlier than you were supposed to. Uh, well, yeah. uh, <laughs> you might tell us about that, but who who gave you that lust for automobiles? I think it was probably my granddad. When, when I think back, uh, sitting on his lap driving his, um, oh gosh, it must have been a 68 Caddy. I was eight, seven years old, and I would sit on his lap in fear you know, driving around town. In those days, you could get away with it. Yeah. It was acceptable. Uh, there weren't seat belts or anything like that. I remember getting a, a black eye one time, and my dad had to slam on the brakes, and I'd go flying <laughs> into the uh, into the headliner. Well, but, nobody uh, was, nobody used car seats back then. They didn't even, no. you know, if your parents were in a wreck, you just flew around until you hooked a door handle. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And how many... Well, how many thumbs and fingers did we smash in the door frames? Too? Oh, God, yeah. Oh. Yeah, been there. Well, I did that <laughs> over the weekend to one of my fingers. You had to bring that up. I think I got more oh, bruises yeah. from my mom's arm bar. You know, but right next to her. Just everyone who's listening probably just thought, ooh, kind of got that cringe feeling. Of, I <laughs> yeah. I, yeah I, great I, memories, too. I had that Saturday, <laughs> and it stung bad. <laughs> And between that and the weather, how am I doing, guys? Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> You're on top of it, Barry. <laughs> but that's that's kind of a common memory for most of us who are of a certain age is there weren't seat belts. Well, there were, but, you know, they were crammed down the seat. You couldn't find them. Yeah, that's just the lap belt. So you'd fold it in half. It'd be easier to carry in the yeah, body well, bag. Well, and sure as the world, you'd be going to the lake one weekend and your dad would be using that thing to hold a cooler. <laughs> You're yeah. not wrong. <laughs> but, you know, it does show how much how vastly improved the car industry has taken safety. Some of it's mandated, obviously, and other things, it's just the automotive industry saying, what do we need to do that's right uh, for safety? I mean, you look at race cars, you know, I'm in the vintage racing scene. Yeah. Those cars are dangerous compared to the modern day cars. Oh, yeah. You know, that is one of the things as I've been, I've been, and Barry wouldn't know this, but I, I spend a lot of time on Facebook Marketplace. It's like my porn Oh, because uh, I look at cars. And I'm like, oh, do I bid on it? Do I bid? Marks what do I do? What do I do? Mark's an absolute whore for uh, oh, aircraft carrier size Mopars. But that is one of the oh, things I've thought about. 1955 Plymouth's my first car. There's Didn't no seat belts, and I. It's weird that at this time in my life, I'm kind of like, no, I rather like having even a chest restraint. I like having my seatbelt on. Yeah. How would I feel driving that at 55 down I-35 with the maniacs that we have here in Joko? Well, you've been in the Corvettes. Oh, truth. <laughs> well, I remember driving the first time with an airbag and thinking the whole time, what if this goes off? I don't like this idea of an airbag. Uh, I was you know, really... Later on, it did save me. You know, but, Mark and uh, I are both laughing because we were ready for you to make some awful joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to write down I the got, airbag I'm on story. The three strike rule. I've already had those two strikes. I don't want to go. You are among friends, sir. <laughs> So riding around on your grandfather's lap in his Cadillac, sixty-eight caddy, uh, seven years old, probably not enough leg to get down to the pedals. So we assume he was working them. He, he was working the pedals, and I was just sitting on his lap. And uh, you know, you would drive by a police officer, and they would just kind of wave at you, and, and um, you know, try that now, and 
Yeah, yeah that doesn't that doesn't quite work the same stuff. now. <laughs> yeah. So but that's kind of got me involved in. I never worked on cars until high school, but uh, uh, it got me involved in kind of the, that freedom that an automobile lends to your life, and that kind of got me hooked. I grew up in the Midwest, so you know, wide open roads, and all my um, relatives were farmers and corn and hogs and things like that. So, um, you know, there was there was that opportunity to get out there and express your freedom by just driving. I still, to this day, love to drive. I heard you had a uh, a paper route. You may have started your <laughs> official driving career a little prematurely. You've been listening to somebody. I don't know. I, you know, <laughs> I don't know where this came from. But yes, um, when we moved to California, my mom had a 1969 red Mustang. I remember it well. Oh. And um, <laughs> I had my paper route. In, in junior high and high school and or not high school but junior high and elementary school and I would early mornings I would help myself to the keys sometimes I even made a copy of the keys little did they know <laughs> but I would go out and take a little spin in the mornings uh, I remember pulling into the uh, elementary school that I went to it was dark everyone's <laughs> on and the Mustang stalled I couldn't get it started up again right away and I'm thinking Oh, this is not good. And the <laughs> song playing on the radio was, well, I can't remember the name of the song, but can I, you know, I can see clearly now the rain has gone. I'm thinking, <laughs> that song is forever stuck in my brain of a negative moment. In my oh, life. yeah, that was the that end of my fear, life I saw. <laughs> oh, that fear of, uh oh, but the car did start up. I took it home and continued my paper out, and no one knew, no one was the wiser. Wow. But, it, but did it stop me from doing it again? No, yeah. no, yeah. no, I got oh, away. I got away with it again and I learned how to restart the car. Why would I stop? <laughs> <laughs> Did your mom ever find out that you'd been tooling around in her car? Oh, they found out later when I became a little more brazen and uh, would take it out during the day. Oh, and I went to a, a friend of mine. This is now when I was in um, high school, a uh, freshman. I'd go visit a friend's house and, and uh, maybe do a little something stupid. And his his dad knew mine and would call up and say, gosh, you know, Barry's the same age as my son. How does he get his license so early? <laughs> got the questions going. So, yeah, I maybe not have been the brightest in the shed, but I had fun. I was old enough looking that I would never got caught. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I had a friend uh, in, um, yes. in school. His name was Brad, and he had a big old, I think it was a 74 or 75 Monte Carlo. Oh, wow. And the dude had a mustache when he was like 11. <laughs> so he's he's 14 freaking years old in junior high, cruising around in his car. Brad always looked like he should have been selling drugs and Cutlass Supremes. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, he, he was a kindred spirit. I love yeah, it. My, my, uh, my first car was handed to me from my granddad after he passed. was a 1970 Monte Carlo with a 454 <laughs> four-barrel on just. Oh. I would pull up to the... The oh. Pontiac Firebirds, the Trans Ams, and they kind of look at me and giggle, and then I would just absolutely blow them off. Just <laughs> nice. That's the what. That's what again, you want to give granddad. your kid for a first car. Yeah. Holy cow! Yeah, again, one of those things that probably wasn't the smartest thing I was doing. But, you know. <laughs> How did you start your career in automotive and motors, motorsports PR? I, I was actually working for the Starlight Foundation. I was working for an, an agency. Left. And work for the Starlight Foundation, which uh, grants wishes. It's very similar to Make-A-Wish. Oh, cool. I was there for a year and uh, left there. And, and a friend called up and said, hey, we need some writing done. And, you know, I know you can write a few things. That started me out. My first um, foray into automotive was Ferrari. 
we did the 348 announcement, and we also were the, the we announced the very first factory owned Ferrari store, which was in Mill Valley. They bought an old decrepit gas station, and now that's now Ferrari of San Francisco. No kidding. That kind of got me hooked on meeting with uh, you know the big wigs from Ferrari. You know, Jean Luigi Butoni was the CEO at the time. We'd fly out and meet with him in New York, and that kind of got me hooked, and that evolved into doing things for the other clients that they had LA Auto Show and my favorite which yeah, I never can get away from was the Monterey Historic Automobile Races mm-hmm. that they yeah. represented and that got me hooked on on the vintage racing and my very first race up here was in 1989 that's when the Aston Martin recreated the pits when Ford owned mm-hmm. Aston Martin and that, that that just was showmanship and that always stays in my mind of when we do things up here how, we're entertainment. You know, we're not just motorsports. How do we entertain the guests? And that's more and more important nowadays than ever before. But that kind of got me in the in the in that fold of automotive. And I liked cars at the time, but it was the people, the people behind all these clients that we had. I represented Avanti Motorworks. I mean, Avanti of all things. But uh, Warren Mosler of um, Consolier. Yeah, a good friend was Reese Calloway. He introduced the Calloway Speedster, so I had the Speedster for about a week in my home in Simi Valley. Just not a bad car to drive. Yeah, I feel for you. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was tough. It was really tough. And then we also re- represented Mid America, so I went out with Mike Yeager and went to my first Bloomington Gold, and he gave me a red Corvette. I don't remember what year it was, and. Leaving Bloomington and going that route, that rally, yeah, the hundreds and hundreds of Corvettes was just amazing. And seeing people lining up along the, the country roads, waving their flags, and it was a party. Oh. And that I thought, wow, this is this Corvette thing has a pretty special meaning with people. Yeah, us Corvette guys, we're kind of we're kind of odd. We're a little strange. <laughs> Do you remember what year that was? Gosh, that probably was in nineteen ninety two. Okay, I would guess. Uh, I wasn't on that one. I was there in 99 and 2000, and then again in 2010 and 2011. So okay. I've been to a few. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's spectacular. And then after JMPR, I started a, a friend of mine called me into his, I was during SEMA, called me into his hotel room. You know, he had a big, beautiful suite. Mm-hmm. And he proceeded to tell me about an hour, he was drinking his uh, martinis, about how he was working with the Indonesians to buy Lamborghini. Oh, thought, oh this is just a, yeah, I'm not thinking, yeah, why am I here? You've been drinking too much. <laughs> then um, about two months later, I went to his office. He was the vice president of Vector, Vector Aeromotive in Wilmington. No kidding. And I went into his office for a meeting and he closes the door and goes, if anyone comes <laughs> in the door, I want you to put what I'm going to give you away quickly. Okay, you know, what are, what are you doing? And it was the whole due diligence of Lamborghini that Chrysler had put together because Chrysler was selling Lamborghini. Yeah. And I thought, okay, there's something here. And then about a month passed, and I get the call saying, we bought Lamborghini. And they wanted me to join, join full-time in Jacksonville, Florida. But I had a family, didn't want to move. So we set up my own agency at the time, Vector Lamborghini, being VL Communications. That's how I started from 10-year... 10-year streak having my own agency. Nice. What is the difference in working for a couple of supercar companies as opposed to the usual PR you would do for somebody like Mitsubishi or Toyota? Well, Mitsubishi and Toyota were, were great gigs. I loved working with them. 
I'm probably one of the only people that had a key card to get into Mitsubishi and a key card to get into Toyota corporate headquarters too. <laughs> um, wow. I would say the difference really is the supercar companies are nimble with no money and the big car companies are a little bit slow and methodical with lots of money. So um, both are good. Both have their drawbacks, but uh, it was fun with Lamborghini. I was flying over to Italy quite often, flying to Jacksonville, Florida quite often. And the people I met uh, were incredible. Although an embarrassing moment was the very first time I just started with Lamborghini. Had my nice little shirt with the gold Lamborghini logo on it. Mm -hmm. And we were thinking about starting with PPG pace car program in the IndyCar series. So we shipped a black Diablo to Detroit, to Belle Isle. And I get out there to you know, kind of monitor the car. Now, I've never driven the car yet. The car's on pit lane. Mario Andretti and Paul Newman show up. Mario <laughs> goes, let's take it for a spin. So they take a couple of hot laps. Now the car comes back into pit lane and the, and the officials are saying, get this car out of here. We have to, we have to get going. So I jump in the car thinking, oh, okay, this is going to be great. I immediately stall it. The look on Newman's and Andretti's face was like, who, who is this guy? I probably burned the clutch the entire way to where I was parking it. It was, I was thinking, oh, I've got to learn how to drive this beast. Yeah, a, a little different, a little different. Uh, out of curiosity, if you're on the West Coast and you're representing Lamborghini, do you get to have demo cars? Well, I, I um, had a daily driver. Okay. And my neighbor, I had a house at the end of a cul-de-sac in a sleepy little community in Rockland. <clears throat> and uh, I, you know, people say, what do you do? Well, I work for Lamborghini. And they're like, eh, yeah, okay, sure. And all of a sudden, one day, a big reliable carrier comes backing up, beep, beep, beeping all the way into the cul-de-sac, unloads. The first Diablo that I had was a red Diablo VT. And people were thinking, you're into drug money or you're telling the truth? <laughs> no, sure. Hey, so Escobar, what the hell? <laughs> well, exactly. So I would rotate the Diablos about every 2,500 kilometers. I had free reign. Um, it was driving, you know, a four-bedroom, three-bathroom house in most neighborhoods. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, around the streets. And but, uh, the thing most people don't realize uh, now because – there are lots, lots more Lamborghinis, Ferraris, McLarens. There's tons of them. This is back when they didn't make very many Lamborghinis. And so an exotic and car truly was that. exotic because you never saw them. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, I just remember bragging about is 492 horsepower. Nowadays, 492 horsepower doesn't, you know, yeah, that's nothing. That's a base but, Corvette. Uh, <laughs> but, but we we did the uh, worldwide introduction, so I was back at the factory writing the manuals and things like that. Um, it was an absolute blast, absolute experience. And the people I met along the way doing dealer visits and just the celebrities and things of that sort were, were pretty special. Incredible. 2,500 miles and then swap one out. I, that, oh, doesn't, yeah, that doesn't suck. Yeah, pardon me. I need yeah. a new Lamborghini. The new car smells almost, almost <laughs> out of this one. <laughs> I would have the yellow, the black, purple bottle come in, the other red. And it was fun. I would take my daughter to elementary school, and you could see, you know, I, I pulled up one time, and she had trouble with the scissor door, so I opened up the door for her. And uh, I just overheard some of the parents say, go meet her, go meet her. Oh, my God. <laughs> and the little boys would come running over. And, um, I was kind of got a chuckle out of that. My daughter just you know, nonchalantly walked away. But... Um, 
it, it was great fun. And, and I remember, you know, I was heading home and I see these two boys just cycling as fast as they can, like E.T., you know, was running after them. <laughs> and um, they just knew all about the car because they read road and track. They mm-hmm. read motor and automobile. Ah. They, they were telling me about the car, which was oh, nice. pretty cool. Yeah, I was that kid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely was. So how did you make the leap from Vector and Lamborghini? And I'd really like to spend about three days talking to you about Vector. But how did you make the leap from that to historic racing? Well, as I I was dedicated only to Vector Lamborghini, but it was 99% Lamborghini because Vector was was going away essentially at that point. Yeah, how many how many cars did Jerry Weigert build? Oh gosh, like 20. Yeah. He, he kept repainting them, you know, kind of like the old Shelby days. Yeah. He'd just repaint and put the new one out. Uh, I was there during the the gosh, what did they call it? The Waco of Wall Street. It was right after Waco happened. Oh. And uh, this is when the Indonesians were taking over and he went into Jerry Weigert went into the to the facility and locked himself in. Yeah. Well, that news all over the place because Waco just happened where they locked themselves in the compound. Now you've got the Wall Street guy on the pink sheets uh, mm. locking himself in, trying to divert a takeover. So I had that morning when I arrived at the office, I had Wall Street Journal, New York Times, AP. I thought something's not right. And so I was involved in that little process too. It was, I, I, I hate to get off on a tangent, but when Jerry died a few years ago, uh, apparently all of the leftover uh, vector stuff was in a storage, in, in a storage facility someplace. And they sent people in, nobody claimed it, nobody bought it. And so they cleared it out and they threw it in a dumpster. <gasps> And wow. it was plans and blueprints and uh, some of the bucks for doing the body and all kinds, you know, uh, some of the scale models and everything else. And they just threw it away. They just threw it away. It's gone. You it's hate to gone. see that happen too, you know, regardless if it's good or bad. You know, there's history in, in that. Yeah. 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 Magnificent yeah, but, history. Yeah. And what an unusual guy and what an amazing car. And all that, all that development stuff is just thrown in a dumpster. Yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, when, so when, when Lamborghini, you know, I needed more clients. So I started expanding and the LA Auto Show came to me and said, you worked on our client. You were our agency before when I was with another agency. So they hired me and then Monterey Storks, Steve Earl called me up one day and said, I'm putting the PR contract out to bid. Would you be interested? I said, sure. So I got that account. And then one thing led to another where I was doing the American Cancer Society, Southern California Marine Association. Uh, Carol Shelby, I worked for the Carol Shelby uh, Foundation for a while as well, and he would call up, and uh, you know he was always kind of the grumpy caller. Yeah, you know, Barry, what are you doing for me today? And <laughs> better be on the spot. You tell him what you're doing, and he goes, "Okay, good." Then hang up, and you'd call maybe two weeks later. <laughs> what are you doing for me today? <laughs> exactly. But um, so I built up the agency uh, for ten years that way, and it was going strong. I had seven staff in office in Fountain Valley, California, up in, in Orange County, then off, uh, still up in Sacramento. And um, I got a call from the LA Auto Show client saying, let's meet on Sunday morning. You, we need to talk to you. I thought, oh, okay, being fired, mm, you know, yeah. kind of mentally preparing myself for that. So we went to this nice place, Treaders on the Beach in Santa Monica, and it was a lovely morning. And 
He says, well, everything that you do for the LA Auto Show as an agency, we need to have that in-house. I think, oh, here it comes, here comes the shoe. But we want you to do it. Oh. And I had the idea of, I, okay, I've done an agency for 10 years. Uh, it's growing. But it was also at that point, do I shrink it a little bit and become more profitable or spend the money to grow it even more? And I thought, well, okay, 10 years, I've had a good run. Now I can get a steady paycheck, get health care insurance. So I closed up the agency and went to the LA Auto Show internally. And it was great fun. And one of the best times of the show was we were wanting to get the design studios involved in the show. But how did we do that? So Andy Fazeshi, who was the co-owner of the show, and I were in Munich, Germany. And we were having a beer before the Frankfurt Auto Show. Seems appropriate. And, and we kind of thought, instead of what they can do for us, how do we flip the tables? What can the auto show do for the design studio? And that kind of changed our mind or framework of, okay, it's not about us. How would we work together that we benefit? Yeah. So we came up with Design Los Angeles competition, brought the design studios on board, and became collaborators with them. And today's, to this day, there's still a design element to the LA Auto Show. And, and I love working with the car designers. They're cool people. Yes. They're very cool. People. Yeah, they are. Uh, I've been privile privileged enough to bump into uh, Horatio Pagani a couple times. And what an interesting little guy. Uh, and, and I say little because he's not very tall, <laughs> but he is very brilliant. So how long did you work with the L.A. Auto Show? I worked for three and a half years internally. And, um, yeah, I left because of some turmoil that was going on and, and didn't want to be part of that. And one day after I left the L.A. Auto Show officially, I had a nice severance package of the whole bit. Uh, Edmunds.com called and said, hey. We'll fly you out to Detroit. We need a Toyota Camry brought back to Santa Monica. Do you want to do it? The caveat is you have to write a story each day on your trip. No problem. So I did that. Then about three days later, I get a call from, uh, uh, I don't know if you know Rod Campbell. Uh, he was founder of Campbell and Company, big mm -hmm. ad agency. He calls up and says, you know, we've been hearing your name. We need some support on the PR side and event planning side for this company that we've just been hired by. Well, what's the company? It's Toyota, okay, and the client that we're really working for is an event called the Monterey Historic Automobile Races that Toyota is now sponsoring. I thought, oh, going back home. So they hired me immediately and got involved on the sponsorship side of the Monterey Historics. And uh, so it's like I was representing them. I left away for about a year. Now I'm representing Toyota for them. So I'm, I'm destined to be here in Monterey working on old cars and some old people, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's a real joy. It's kind of, it's a, and then I came back for the third time, you know, when I rejoined. So you're back involved with, uh, historic racing. Uh, who are some, you had to have met some really amazing people while you were there. Who are some of the names we would know? And among those, who do you, who do you think was the most memorable? Uh, I mean, I, wow, there's so many, I've really had the privilege and the, Many of them are friends of mine now. You know, the Bobby Ray Halls, the uh, Brian Redmonds of the world, Phil Hills, that I met a number of times. Um, Sir, you know, the ones that really stood out, Sir Sterling Moss and Lady Susie. Um, just a oh, yeah. wonderful couple. Alma Hill, you know, you know, Phil Hills, uh, you know, just, you know, she's adorable. Um, 
one of the first early ones was Man, Juan Manuel Fangio. No kidding. Uh, Fangio was signing autographs at the Monterey Historics. And I remember, okay, we have a, a person in line to say, okay, no more people to come behind me. And he kind of stopped and looked, and he didn't speak English. And so all, the, all these people are waiting for my signature, and you know, he nodded yes. If they want my signature, I am going to sit here until the very last one. Wow. And he sat there for another hour and a half just signing whatever people came up, talking to people, and, uh, you know, just a real gentleman. That's all right. Um, obviously, I worked for Carol Shelby, and he was always a hoot. Um, but in 2010, I started working with Dan Gurney, and Aww. we were honoring Dan Gurney for the 2010 Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion. So I was living in L.A. at the time still. So I was going to the AAR uh, shop there and, and visiting with them, you know, getting tours and chatting about planning things and looking at poster art, how we're going to depict him. And then ran into Phil Remington, uh, who was still working there. And, and, you know, they were always tinkering. You know, Dan was always thinking of what's the next step. What's the, how can I change this? And Phil was figuring out how to do it. Exactly. And, and, you know, just they, their mind never, ever stopped. And so, you know, Gurney is a, you know, hero of mine of, of all the things that he's accomplished and the cars that he's pr- produced, um, you know, just phenomenal. Too cool. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Now, the Monterey Historics take place at Laguna Seca. And believe it or not, there are some people who don't know uh, what Laguna Seca is. So for the initiated, could you describe the track? What is it? Where is it? And what events take place there? Oh, gosh. Uh, built in 1957 on Fort Ord, Army Land. And they built this track in 60 days at a cost of about wow, $1.5 million total. And I mean, it, it, it's a real treasure. It's, it's right in the heartbeat of the gateway to Monterey between Salinas and Monterey. It's a two-point, where now it's a 2.238-mile road course. And we just had it repaved. Uh, just ended last week. Oh. So um, we have MotoGP this weekend. I mean, not MotoGP, Moto America this weekend. And um, so we have a brand new surface. But it, it's 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 held IndyCar for years. Uh, IndyCar came back in 2000, well, 2019 is when it came back. Um, it had Can-Am during the days, Formula 5000. Uh, it, it has seen so many sports cars heroes and legends who have been here. Uh, sirs, I'm not sure Sterling. Um, uh, Jackie Stewart, his first race in America was here um, in a Ford Cortina. So I mean, it's, it's the history. When I when I go through the archives of who has driven here, who has won here, who has just been here, is pretty special. In 1997, the Grateful Dead came out, and the place was absolutely packed. Oh yeah. And then about six months later, the Pope came in and and packed the place too. So I think I think the Pope had to come after the Grateful Dead. It could not be the other way around. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, it's it's an iconic little little uh, facility here, uh, owned by the County of Monterey now, and it, you know the investments coming in and a lot of things are happening there. You know, there, there's always rumors that Laguna Seca is going to go away. It's closing up. It's going to be a hotel or something like that. Absolutely not. The county just invested $20 million in the repaving, a whole new start-finish bridge, and a lot of site work. So things are really happening out here. That's exciting. That hasn't been done in years and years, probably more than two decades, of this level of involvement in the facility. 
But again, it's an iconic place. I remember when I first started here, and I was up here in 2011, AMG Mercedes-Benz was having a driving academy. So I went down there because I knew a couple of AMG guys, and we were just chatting. And all of a sudden, they just kind of stopped talking to me, and they're looking over my shoulder. I'm thinking, okay. So I turn around, and there's this guy walking away, getting in the car, putting his helmet on, and this cute girl putting her helmet on. I thought, okay, they must be somebody. It was Sebastian Vettel. He just won his first Formula One World Championship. And here he is flying into San Francisco and has always wanted to see Laguna Seca. So they put him in a car. I asked if I could take some photos. And they said, oh, no, he doesn't drive for Mercedes, so we can't do that. <laughs> uh, seeing, his, seeing his reaction to driving the, the track for the first time, you know, that's what people like. And he had a great time. I it was, it was those unexpected surprises. I would have loved to have been in the back seat to see his first shot going through the corkscrew. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he did pretty well. <laughs> I'm sure he did too. It'd, it's, it's it'd be nice to see somebody do it who really knows what they're doing. <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, interesting to see the difference between a good driver and a really good driver, like some of the, most of the pros are. I mean, their lap times can be so much faster and they're just smoother. It, it's very impressive. One of the things I heard about Jackie Stewart, uh, and I think it was when the Ford Taurus uh, first came out, and I forget which track they were on, but Stewart had three Ford executives in the car with him. And they, one of the execs said, the thing about riding with him is, is you can't tell what he's doing because the transitions are so smooth. You can't tell when he's on the gas or when he's on the brake or when he starts to put it into a turn because everything in the car just felt very fluid. And yeah, I'm sure that's the difference between a good driver and a great driver. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or, or a hack like me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I fall into that category too. <laughs> Laguna Seca is going to host two major vintage races, or they do host two major vintage races every year. The Monterey, the Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion and the Porsche Rennsport Reunion. Can you talk a little bit about each of these and their significance? Uh, the Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion was renamed in 2000, end of 2009 when uh, it was purchased from Steve Earle, uh, which was the Monterey Historic Automobile Races. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're entering our 49th year. Uh, vintage racing started here in 1974. And with 66 cars, this year we're going to have over 400. Um, the, the the real discriminating factor of this is they have to be historic, authentic cars. They can't just be your a vintage race car. It has to have provenance. Okay. We like the patina. We don't want it overbuilt. You know, it's, it's not the purpose is not putting a car that what it could be. It's what it was. And right. so we run from everything from the ragtime racers. We have a 1908 Ford up to, I think, a 1910, or I mean, a 2010 model uh, LMP car. So we're running everything in different classes. We have 14 groups, but it's really about the heritage of these cars, of, of showing them at speed in a safe manner. We don't want, if someone does something stupid and hits somebody and is at fault, ex you know, sorry, but you're excluded from the next year's event. Uh, we take it very seriously because owners of these valuable cars don't want to be running against recreations or clones. They want, you know, cause the driving attitudes may be different. If I'm driving a hundred thousand dollar recreation versus a 
twenty million dollar yeah. original. You know, we we want to be careful about that. Yeah. Um, you know, so you know, it's it's really about bringing a museum of motorsports to life, and we we have the noise. We're not necessarily the most pretty. We don't have the green lawns and things like that. Uh, but it's about putting the cars through their paces. And you know, last year we had several Ferrari two hundred and fifty GTOs. That's kind of cool. Yes. You know, seeing fifty to seventy million dollar cars just out there having fun in a safe way. And yeah. again, we take it very seriously. The stewards are fantastic at watching and we have driver, very strict driver meetings. So it's, it's a, but it's entertainment again. And we want the drivers to enjoy their experience and we want the fans who come in to enjoy it as well. And Porsche Rennsport reunion, this is their seventh edition. It's held about every four or five years we have, Held it last time in 2018, and you don't have to be a Porsche enthusiast to say, "Wow, it is an overboard level of of Porsche motorsports and the legends that they bring in." In 18, they brought in about 55 motorsport legends: the Jackie Eeks, the Brian Redmonds, the Derek Bells. They're coming back again. Um, uh, this year to sign autographs and do stage presentations. I mean, it is absolutely amazing what Porsche does. And we're just thrilled that they selected uh, WeatherTech Racer Laguna Seca again for this this year's edition. And it's a, it's a big animal, <laughs> a big beast <laughs> to be doing. But it's, it's absolutely spectacular. And like I said, you don't need to be a Porsche aficionado to appreciate all that's going on here. Yeah, fantastic. One question about the vintage racers, are they allowed to use modern tires or modern brakes or does no. it have to be what was run in, in era? Has to be era, has to be historic. And it, and quite frankly, the past two years of the pandemic and now the Ukrainian war, um, it's been tough on tire allocations. Yeah. It's tough on the whole automotive industry. We all know about the chips and the shortage of chips going into the automobiles. And I was talking to the uh, BMW friend of mine, and he said, we, we can't come out because we're having such a shortage. And I said, oh, the chips? No. no, we cannot get electrical harnesses very well. Why is that? The electrical harnesses are built in factories in, you guessed it, Ukraine. Yep. And it's like one thing after another, um, you know, hitting the automotive industry. And, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're striving to come back, and they will, obviously, but it's a tough haul. Um, our featured mark for the Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion in August is Corvette. Yes. 70th anniversary. Last last celebrated them in 2013. Which is exactly uh, is why I postponed my knee replacement surgery to go to this. <laughs> Excellent. And the cool weather. Yeah. Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> so we're excited. But it, it, it was a process to get, you know, Corvette to say yes to bringing some special cars and things like that just because of the state of the economy and spending money on events is not exactly a high point or a high protocol for any company right now, regardless if it's automotive or not. But it, you know, they, they saw the, the value of being the feature mark and just sharing their history along with their, their future and present. I I'm just ecstatic that they're going to be there um, anybody who listens to the show with any regularity knows what an absolute Corvette fiend I am. 
Um, <laughs> that said, we're driving out in our Porsche. <laughs> we, we had a uh, cars and coffee uh, just this past Saturday. We had about 680 cars, just drive seven hundred, and uh, you know, five dollar donation to the Pajaro uh, residents who were flooded out so so poorly, and you know, they don't have insurance and things like that. But every Corvette that came in, and I was directing them in and waving and helping. Every Corvette that came in, I said, hey, are you going to be here in August? Oh, yeah, we're going to be here. We're talking about it. You know, the NCRS and the Western Council of Corvettes, and they're, they're getting the word out. And, and so we're hoping for a, a nice show. So what else can we expect Corvette-wise from the historics? Oh, we'll have probably, right now we're looking at a heritage display of about 30 historic cars. You know, the Cunningham Corvettes from Le Mans, uh, the Greenwood we just talked to, you know, a couple of people who have a Greenwood Corvette who are going to be racing or at least exhibiting it. I think we have two Grand Sports at the moment looking for the others. So cars that you don't see outside of museums or they are in private collections, this is the opportunity to really showcase them. Last year we honored, we were the kickoff to the 100th anniversary of Le Mans. And we had a display of 75 Le Mans winners or class winners, overall or class winners. And when Pierre Fion, who's the president, chairman of the ACO, came out, they, they, he was in awe of the collection of cars that people brought. And, again, stuff that you just don't see. And that's our goal every year for the reunion is to show things that are not normally seen on track or outside of museums. Outstanding. I can't wait. So oh, It's going to be great fun. Aside from Monterey, aside from Laguna Seca, you have to have been to some other tracks uh, and different places. Where have you been and what have you seen? Which one of them would you think was most impressive? Oh, boy. Um, been to Silverstone. The size and scope of Silverstone is is a monster. Is it? I can't get, wrap my head, head around that. I've been to there for uh, MotoGP and Formula One. And... Uh, Jared is in Spain is very similar to Laguna Seca in terms of its size and kind of its 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 wandering around. You you don't sit in one seat, you know, during the whole race. I've been to Le Mans, which is fantastic, um, but the one that startled me probably and scared me the most was Talladega. Really, I was, uh, working for Dow Automotive, and we had the diesel particulate filters and the safety foam, so. They sent me to Dal Talladega because we were working with Michael Waltrip racing and we had the safety foams and, and the NASCAR of tomorrow. And uh, just coming through the tunnel and seeing that rake, that steepness of the track yeah. is so impressive. Absolutely. I mean, mind boggling. And then to hear the NASCARs going around in their train, the noise is just incredible. And then the campers everywhere. I mean, everyone's there for the party. It's, <laughs> it was it was it was mind blowing because it's not a street course, it's not a road course that I'm used to. Here's a high speed way, and it's just incredible. I I couldn't agree more. Okay, Barry, what's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car? Aside from taking it when I was seven years old. <laughs> <laughs> There's that. How long do we have on this interview? It's your show, baby. Go as long as you want. <laughs> Something I, I never did again was the first time I had the Diablo VT. It was an early Sunday morning. I you know, just 
had it for a couple of days, and I thought, okay, let me stretch its legs and see what it can do. And I, there's a in just outside Sacramento, there's a long two-lane highway, no on-ramps or off-ramps in between. So I get on the freeway and I'm looking ahead and I don't see anybody. I look behind me as I'm getting on the on-ramp. Don't don't see anybody. I thought, okay, let's see what it can do. So both hands on the wheel until shifting. I'm shifting into fifth gear and I noticed that the suspension had hunkered down, you know, really tight. I do a quick glance at the speedometer. 175. <laughs> Oops. And it, and it was smooth as could be, but all of a sudden I had that that thought Okay, lift up, start slowing down because things are going by really fast. Mm-hmm. And then, then the fear factor starts kicking in as what if, what if, what if scenarios. So I slowed it down to 90 and felt much more comfortable. But <laughs> and 100 also, was normal. And felt but like you were crawling. Was, yeah, 175 can get you in some serious trouble. And, yeah. But I can honestly say that the car was smooth, uh, still was still was pulling on me. So I could still, I still had more. But... Uh, I never, ever, ever did it again. <laughs> yeah, I imagine not. We've been speaking yeah, with yeah. Barry Tepke. Yeah, did I? Did I? Did, did I? Did I? Did I have this thing? Did I actually did it? You know, my fingers like I really did it. Wink, wink. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any officers out there? Uh, it, was, it was spectacular. It was. Um, yeah, tell the cop. Picture it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all way, way past. So. But it was fun. It was a lot of fun. We have been speaking with Barry Tepke, Director of Heritage Events and Public Relations at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. Barry, would you please take a minute and tell us where we can find you online and on social media and where we can find the track? Well, WeatherTechRaceway.com is the best way to go. And we have our ticket information. We have all the event information, news, um, camping. We have a huge campsites here. So we're open 365 days of the year. We're kind of the best bargain in town. We're a campsite. Uh, during events or just transient camping, just coming in and seeing the track. You know, we have deer. We have uh, it's 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 remote, but also only ten minutes from Cannery Row and all the activities and dinner, oh, yeah, yeah. Carmel by the Sea and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's it's a special place. And then if you haven't been here, you got to come visit. I'm coming. And I've got I'm doing a private tour on Friday on uh, Thursday. Actually, it's a some royalty from another country who's renting a home in Pebble Beach. Um, can't say the names or anything like that because they said don't publicize it, but I'm going to give a private tour because they wanted to see the track. And uh, so it'd be kind of fun. We, we get a lot of that, of just giving tours of people being on the bucket list of wanting to see Laguna Seca. Sounds nice. very cool. Nice. Very cool. Barry, thank you for being with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And, and this has been great fun. That is a genuinely nice human being. That guy has totally cool. That guy has shaken some uh, extraordinarily famous hands, yeah. uh, but, driven some extraordinary cars. Oh god, oh god getting you, one every 2,500, 2,900 miles. You get a new one. What? Well, first of all, you'd have to put twenty five hundred miles on a new Lamborghini. Oh, are you kidding? You would. It'd be two weeks, and, and you'd you get I'd a new be out one. driving yeah. the thing in my jammies. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't find me home much. Good grief. Barry, thank you so very much for being with us. Uh, Honestly, that was a pleasure. And 
thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. And a lot of you listeners gave us a heck of a day on Friday, some very big download thank numbers. You. Thank you very much for that. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and on LinkedIn as Driven Radio Show Podcasts. Because somebody else already had driven radio show and it didn't have anything to do with cars. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? <laughs> you can also find us anywhere fine podcasts are heard. I am Brett Hatfield from Mark L. Grove. Yo. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. Mm-hmm.